Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. UPR listeners are avid readers, so our periodic question to you isn't if you're reading, but what are you reading? This time on Access Utah, we're going to open the phone lines for your call. We'll encourage you to respond through email to upraxcess at gmail.com or Twitter at upraxcess. We hope you'll share your book list with us. We're going to compile a UPR book list and post it at our website, upr.org. We're also asking you if you have anything special that you read for the holidays, what's your holiday reading tradition, and do you have any suggestions for books to give as gifts? In addition to you, we'll be talking with Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab, and Catherine Weller of Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Join us. What are you reading following the news?
Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. UPR listeners are avid readers, so our periodic question to you isn't if you're reading, but what are you reading? Today on Access Utah, we're opening the phone lines for your call. We're encouraging you to respond through email if you prefer to upraxcess at gmail.com or on Twitter at upraxcess. We hope you'll share your book list with us. We'll compile a UPR list and post it uh, shortly after the program on our website, upr.org. We're also asking you if you have anything special that you read for the holidays. I know many have special holiday reading traditions. And you have suggestions for books to give as gifts. So we're uh, into the holiday uh, gift-giving season. In addition to you, later in the program, we'll be talking with Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab, and Catherine Weller of Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Spotlight, though, is on you. You can call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. If you'd prefer to go to our email, it's upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter, at upraxcess. That's at upraxcess. I'll be sharing my list with you as well. And uh, I'm sure... Uh, and Andy and Catherine have some uh, great suggestions from new books. Uh, these can be older books, uh, something you read a long time ago, just revisited. Uh, could be children's books. We've even had suggestions for textbooks in uh, past programs. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I, I want to go back uh, to begin the program with uh, an older book that I read a long time ago, just finished rereading, and that is uh, Jane Austen's Persuasion. Love Jane Austen, such a wonderful uh, writer. She famously said that she, uh, kind of self-deprecating, uh, she said that she uh, examines her world at uh, a, a piece of ivory, two inches wide, she said. But Sir Walter Scott said, I write the big bow-wow novel, but uh, Jane Austen exceeds me. Uh, Persuasion is Jane Austen's last book, um, and a wonderful, wonderful book. Highly recommend it. That's on my list. Let's go to email. This is uh, Amy in Logan, who says, Hi, Tom. I've recently enjoyed some fun graphic children's comics. The series is written and drawn by Jeffrey Brown. He draws funny little comic strips about Darth Vader and small little Luke and Leah. The uh, titles include Vader's Little Princess, Darth Vader and Son, and Good Night, Darth Vader. I would recommend these for anyone who likes Star Wars movies. I'm planning on using them to convince my nieces and nephews to become avid fans. Good luck with that. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. So that's uh, some fun graphic children's comics. Uh, strips about Darth Vader and uh, small little Luke and Leah. Um, here is a uh, submission to our list from uh, Casey on Twitter. Um, who says, at UPR Access, anything by Candace Millard. Millard or Millard is a great choice. Her books on Roosevelt, Churchill, and Garfield are phenomenal historical reads. Uh, I have not been familiar with uh, Candace Millard or Millard, uh, but I will be reading those books. I love history. Um, so uh, she's the New York Times bestselling author of The River of Doubt, Destiny of the Republic, Hero of the Empire. Candace Millard, any book by her, um, is the suggestion. Um, on uh, UPR Access, uh, on Twitter, at UPR Access, I should say, from Casey. So thank you for those suggestions. Uh, shortly, we're going to be talking with uh, Andy Nettle from Back and Beyond Books. Let me give you a few more of my titles. And by the way, we're looking for your book list. What are you reading? 
Um, we're compiling a UPR book list, and this will be on our website, upr.org. Places to join this conversation are our website, our uh, email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter, at upraxis. And you can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I've been reading and rereading, and these uh, books by Par- Barbara Tuckman appear on uh, my list uh, almost permanently. I've been rereading The Proud Tower. Subtitle is A Portrait of the World Before War, 1890 to 1914. I believe this was written after The Guns of August, which is Barbara Tuckman's Pulitzer Prize winning uh, book. Uh, detailing the beginnings of World War One, she says she got interested in uh, people's recollections of the world before war. It's a big the World War One, the Great War was a big dividing line, and people recognized that some things would never be the same. And uh, so she got interested uh, in uh, going back to that history uh, between 1890 and 1914. It's a fascinating read. I learned um, more than I ever have about the the Dreyfus Affair in France, for example. Learned about anarchism around the world in the 1890s. Uh, learned about the aristocracy in uh, Great Britain in uh, in that uh, the closing days of the 19th century. Uh, she's such a wonderful writer, uh, self-taught writer, Barbara Tuckman. The Guns of August, highly recommend. It's a wonderful read and uh, very apropos to today. Another wonderful book by Barbara Tuckman is A Distant Mirror. The subtitle is The Calamitous 14th Century. And uh, Barbara Tuckman says that that time, the 14th century, is, is a mirror to her time, 20th century. Certainly so. You learn a lot about the Black Death and, uh, and, and the world as it was in the 14th century. Those are some of the uh, pieces on my list. We'll get to more of those. We want to hear from you. 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. We're joining together as a UPR community, compiling a UPR book list. I've had a lot of enjoyable reads based on suggestions from you. Love to get your book list. You can join us by Twitter uh, on Twitter at UPR Access, and our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. I believe we do have uh, Andy Nettle on the line with us. Andy, welcome to the program. Happy holidays, Tom. Happy holidays. Uh, how are you, I should say back of Beyond Books in Moab. How how are things in Moab? Finally slowing down. You've perhaps heard that we've had a banner year for tourism, and with a little bit of a late snowfall, I think uh, half of Salt Lake decided to come down for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but uh, we're quieting down, and, and actually this is one of the best times of the year to Explore Canyon Country when there are fewer people and daytime temperatures are absolutely perfect. It is a mixed blessing, isn't it? You you want the people to come there, but uh, it's a little overcrowded. It is a, a problem that we're facing, and uh, infrastructure is certainly struggling with keeping up with the number of people. But, mm. uh, yeah, it is a mixed blessing. We like to have a vibrant town, and we've certainly seen a lot of amazingly good things come out of growth, but uh, it's a growing pain issue as well. Right. I know you, you at the bookstore there, you you certainly uh, tend to have some regional titles. I'm sure you have uh, some of those. Uh, let's just jump into your list. What do you what do you have for us? And indeed, I, the first three titles are regional, uh, and that's always how we have set Back of Beyond Books up as being a regional bookstore. And so we do focus on 
regional titles. And Scott Thibony has just come out with a, a wonderful read. It's published by University of Utah Press, just down the road from you. It's called Disappearances, a story of exploration, murder, and mystery in the American West. And I think we could even be more specific in that subtitle and call it a story of exploration, murder, and mystery on the Colorado Plateau. What Scott has done is take three mysteries from 1934, and who knows why this particular year turned out to be the year for people to go missing in canyon country, but it was. And he was researching the story of Everett Ruiz, who a lot of people have read about Everett's disappearance as a 21-year-old from Southern California. He actually uh, fled home at the age of 16 and spent the next five years finding himself exploring uh, not only the canyon country, but uh, Navajo lands and also along the Pacific coast. But he... uh, ultimately disappeared in 1934. And in the research, Scott came up with some other very interesting cases, including one of Dan Thrapp, T-H-R-A-P-P. He was a scientist out west from the American Museum of Natural History. And he was out here on a paleontological dig up in Wyoming. And once that dig was finished, he wandered down into the canyon country and immediately disappeared, and no one heard from him for three months. And he literally was lost. And I won't tell you what happens, but it's a a good ending. But he wandered around the canyon country for uh, three months with uh, virtually the clothes on his back. And if you know the terrain around here, that's very difficult to do. So it's kind of a miracle that he did uh, survive. The second story that Scott came up with is a young 13-year-old Texan, Lucy Garrett. And Lucy tragically got involved with a rather bad person who ended up killing Lucy's father, kidnaps Lucy, ends up uh, fleeing the law in Texas from this murder, and ends up in Monticello, Utah. And the story winds its way through Goulding's Trading Post down in Monument Valley. They go through Bluff, Utah, Blanding, Utah. And when Scott did the interviews, there were still enough uh, people alive who remembered the incident of Lucy Garrett. And so it's a very interesting look at, at three people who come to the Canyon country and end up disappearing. And I think that same idea continues today. Some people come to the Canyonlands to find themselves. Others come to Canyonlands to lose themselves. And uh, Scott details three of those types. That sounds fascinating. I'd been a little familiar with the Lucy Garrett story. I interviewed a gentleman on a separate book about that. About that. Um, but that, those those all sound like fascinating stories. And he weaves them together uh, very, very nicely. The second book I have is published by the University of Oklahoma Press, brand new, hot off the press, by uh, USU professor, actually, Robert McPherson. He's uh, down in Blanding at the Blanding campus. And he is our foremost historian for this area. 
and his newest title is Mapping the Four Corners, Narrating the Hayden Survey of 1875. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of the major surveys of the West, King, Powell, Wheeler, and Hayden. Of those, certainly John Wesley Powell's group in 1869 came through Canyon Country, came back in 1871-1872, did both the river again and then overland survey. A lot of people aren't familiar with John McComb, who explored this area in 1859. He came from Santa Fe all the way up to uh, trying to find the confluence of the Grand and Green Rivers. But of the other major surveys, the Hayden Survey was the, the closest to our neck of the woods. And over the five or six years that they were in the field, they spent most of the time uh, outside of our area, except for 1875, when that survey explored southwest Colorado, southeast Utah, and northeast Arizona, so pretty much the four corners. And this was the first major exploration to map the LaSalle Mountains, the Abajo Mountains, Monument Valley. Uh, they went through what we now know as Hovenweep, uh, McElmo Canyon. Uh, interestingly enough, they did not discover Mesa Verde. That would take another 13 years for those amazing structures to be discovered, although they went within a few miles of Mesa Verde. Nor did they map the Henry Mountains, and the Henrys remained the last major mountain range in the United States to be mapped a few years later. But what McPherson has done in this fine bit of research is use all of the diaries from the members of Hayden's survey as they tromped around the four corners. And if you look at the maps that were produced from that survey and, and the other surveys of the West and compare them to present-day satellite map mapping, I think you'd be suitably impressed with the accuracy and fine field work that these surveys did. Mapping the Four Corners, narrating the Hayden Survey of 1875 by Robert McPherson and Susan Neal. Mm, sounds, sounds fascinating. Lastly, for regional titles, I brought in a coffee table book and suitable for Christmas. Back in 2008, the photographer John Ortner uh, published through Welcome Books a massive coffee table book titled Canyon Wilderness of the Southwest. And when I say massive, it was about 30 pounds. It had about 12 gatefold pullouts of panoramas of canyon country. And what better terrain to have a gatefold pullout panorama than canyon country? The problem is it was 30 pounds and it was $200, and <laughs> we sold about three a year. In 2010, Welcome Books came out with a mini version, $19, almost a pocket guide, but it's hard to really get the feel for Canyon Country in that size. So finally, in 2016, Welcome Books publishes a mid-sized version at $45, and it, too, has the, the beautiful gatefold pullouts. And so you have these 12 panoramas that are about three and a half, four feet long, and just beautifully showcase Ortner's photography, and it just takes you beautifully into these uh, the rugged terrain of Canyon Country. And it's just an absolutely beautiful book and a 
perfect uh, gift for the holidays. John Ortner's Canyon Wilderness of the Southwest. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. I'll have to check that one out. It is. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Monty Python, yes. Bob Dylan. <laughs> well, Mr. Dylan is our newest Nobel Prize winner for literature. And that pick that came about a month ago caused a lot of discussion. And some people were very disappointed that uh, the Nobel Committee would pick a lyricist for the Nobel Prize for Literature. But on the other hand, if you begin to look into the body of Dylan's work, he did write, I believe there's five books that he's written, and his uh, lyrics uh, certainly are uh, deeply poetic and deeply meaningful. I hearken back, though, to my creative writing class way back in college, and I can just hear the professor saying, lyrics are not literature, lyrics are not poetry. (laughs) They're totally different. And I I wonder what that professor is saying today. But what um, Simon & Schuster has done is taken all of Bob Dylan's songs and transposed them, transcribed them so we can actually understand them. For instance, seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of you. You were trying to break into another world, a world I never knew. I always kind of wondered if you ever made it through seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of you. Interestingly enough, Simon & Schuster had published the complete lyrics of Bob Dylan in 2014, also in a very, very expensive $300 limited edition. And so they had planned on re-releasing those lyrics in 2016, and the week before the release date, the Nobel Prize was announced Bob Dylan winning, and what a a publisher's stroke of luck. Mm -hmm. A week later, the lyrics are released, the book immediately sells out, and uh, it's gone into a second and third printing, so it's now available again. But if you like Bob Dylan and like his lyrics, pick it up. Bob Dylan, the lyrics, 1961 to 2012. Interesting. I've been thinking a lot, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Andy, uh, Leonard Cohen recently died. And he he was a published poet before he got into decided to make the transition into, <laughs> you know, in, into writing songs. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, I, I guess he uh, hasn't got Leonard the attention. Leonard Cohen was probably the noted lyricist and poet for the the late twentieth first part of the twenty first century. And I don't know how many hundreds of songwriters or singers have covered his work, uh, way more than Dylan, I would argue. Mm-hmm. So a tragic loss for. The world of music with Leonard Cohen, and I guess you know some people complain. Why did Dylan get the Nobel? You know, some complaints that you said about about that anyway, and and Leonard Cohen didn't get to as much recognition. I guess uh, Dylan had a, a, a broader cultural impact. I think so. He's he's probably better known worldwide, but boy, Cohen's influence I think is as great or greater than than Dylan's. What so? What's next on your list? I change gears yet again, and everyone needs some mind candy to read. And my favorite is Lee Child. Uh, This is his 20th Jack Reacher novel. And I'm always excited to find an author from the beginning. And this was one author that a, a customer of mine recommended 
you know, 15, 18 years ago, and I've read every novel since. Uh, I always hate it, however, when the movies change your idea of what a book is. And the Jack Reacher character has been portrayed twice now by uh, little 5'4 Tom Cruise when <laughs> Jack Reacher, the character in Lee Childs' books, 6'4. <laughs> I just can't reconcile that. But Lee Child is a wonderful British writer who lives in the United States. And I simply think his writing is a step above most American thriller genre writers. Most of the time, most of his books, his protagonist is a retired military police. But for the first time, I believe, Lee takes the Jack Reacher character back to when he was active military, and you begin to fill in some of the, the blanks that the subsequent books in his career uh, were missing. So it's just a great read. It's a quick read, but uh, really good. Lee Child's uh, latest book is called Night School, a Jack Reacher novel. As you mentioned the movie. Do you, do, you, uh, do you ever go see those movies, movies based on favorite books? I try not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, don't see a lot of movies. I, I stay within the, the written world for the most part. Yeah, that way you can conjure up your own images, right? Absolutely. It's yeah. Your own imagination is so much better than what anything Hollywood can yeah. portray. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have all these titles on, on our website uh, after the program at upr.org. Um, Andy, Andy Nettle from uh, Back Beyond Books, thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Tom. And uh, later in the program, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Also, Ann Holman will return. Uh, she's from uh, King's English Bookshop in uh, Salt Lake City. But we're turning to you. We want to know what you're reading. Uh, I've uh, discovered some wonderful books through your suggestion. And uh, so I'll, I'll be adding uh, the, the books that Andy recommended uh, to my list. Uh, earlier in the program, uh, we heard from Amy and Logan who's uh, uh, reading some funny uh, comic strips about uh, Darth Vader and small little Luke and Leah. Um, and uh, Casey uh, tweeted us and uh, said, uh, recommended uh, Candace Millard. By the way, the, the Twitter handle for Candace Millard, at um, Candace underscore Millard. She says, Candace Millard is a great choice. Her books on Roosevelt, Churchill, and Garfield are phenomenal uh, historical reads. Uh, here are the ways you can uh, get to us. Um, to recommend your book or list of books, and we can add that to our community book list, UPR book list, uh, you can call us, 800-826-1495. It's toll-free, anywhere, 800-826-1495. You can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, use the handle at upraxcess. It's at UPR. Uh, access. We're wanting to know what you're reading. I'm going through my list as well. Hope to hear from you with your list. We're also asking you, do you have any special holiday reading traditions? You sit down and read uh, Gift of the Magi, for example, or um, like many families do, you uh, open up to the Bible to Luke chapter 2. What, what's, your, what's your holiday reading uh, tradition? And uh, any suggestions for books to give as gifts? Love to to know perhaps what you're uh, going to be handing out, maybe to the kids or or to the adults on your list. Either one is great. Young adult as well. 
uh, upraxis at gmail.com, at upraxis on Twitter, and uh, you can uh, join us uh, live on the telephone, uh, 800-826-1495. Here are another couple of uh, books from uh, my list. I mentioned that I've just finished rereading Persuasion by Jane Austen. Anything except for Mansfield Park is wonderful by Jane Austen. Uh, Barbara Tuckman, such a wonderful writer. Uh, the Proud Tower, The Guns of August and a Distant Mirror. been uh, dipping into all three of those again. One very interesting book. I got interested in uh, the process of uh, translation, the process of how the King James Bible came to be. And I found a wonderful book, uh, a brief book, uh, The King James Bible, A Short History from Tyndale to Today by David Norton. Gets into issues of translation, um, strict translation, transliteration. How do you translate, especially a book that's going to be uh, read by so many? Uh, and uh, so Norton talks about the translators, these scholars who, under orders from uh, King James, uh, produced a, a new translation of the Bible. He also talks about how the King James Bible fits into the flow of the development of the English language, and how in turn the King James Bible influenced the development of uh, the English language. It's a, a wonderful read, The King James Bible, A Short History from Tyndale to Today by David Norton. Uh, there's an LDS title, um, Eternity is Now by John H. Groberg. I'm a, I'm a big Groberg fan. You'll be familiar with him, uh, with, with these books, um, um, The Other Side of Heaven, which was turned into a movie, his experiences as a missionary in Tonga, and then the, another book, The Fire of Faith, when he went back as a mission president in, uh, in Tonga, and uh, many other books. This is a good LDS title, Eternities Now, John H. Groberg. Uh, I love anything by P.G. Woodhouse. That's how I relax. Um, and I learned recently that's how a former prime minister of Great Britain, Tony Blair, relaxed as well. Hard day at the office at number 10 Downing Street. Uh, he would uh, open up some P.G. Woodhouse. The, uh, the book I've been rereading is The Inimitable Jeeves. Wonderful short stories, short stories, uh, featuring the the butler who, uh, time after time, saves the feather-brained uh, Bertie Wooster. Those are some uh, some uh, books on my list. Love to hear from you, and we'll take a, a brief break. When we come back, we'll be hearing uh, some suggestions from booksellers, and we'll hear from Catherine Weller of Weller Bookworks and uh, Ann Holman from King's English Bookshop. Following this break. <music> Welcome to Science by the Slice. When we think of bees, images of a busy hive inhabited by an imposing queen bee and her specialized minions come to mind. But not all bees live in cooperative harmony, says USU biologist Karen Kapheim. Some are long rangers. Kapheim and her colleagues from around the world study genetic changes associated with bee evolution. A key feature of increased sociality, they say, is a species' increased capacity to regulate genes in individuals. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Periodically we get together as a UPR community and compile a UPR book list. It's been very helpful for me. I've discovered some wonderful titles. 
Uh, we'll have this list, uh, your suggestions, uh, up on our website uh, very shortly, UPR. Org. Here are the ways you can respond to the program. We hope that you will with your book suggestion or list of uh, suggested reads. Uh, what are you reading? Upraxcess at gmail.com is the email. Upraxcess at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter at Upraxcess, at Upraxcess, and uh, you can join us uh, by telephone to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Um, we turn next to uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you. Good morning, Tom. Good Good morning. Uh, how are your holidays uh, going? Oh, so far so good. Uh, it's nice to have a little bit of snow on the ground, but not too much. And it, it's uh, nice to have people coming in and talking about books. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Well, let's uh, jump in. What's first on your list? All right, first on my list is something that's a little bit odd, but um, in a, but not really. It is a book that is a conversation between Haruki Murakami and Seiji Ozawa. Uh, Murakami is, no, is a Japanese novelist. He's one of those men that is um, constantly talked about in the Nobel, unlike Andy's previous author, um, <laughs> um, Bob Dylan, who was never mentioned in terms of the Nobel <laughs> every year. The Nobel Prize for Literature, people think Murakami, Murakami, and they think this might be the year he gets the Nobel Prize for Literature, and he has yet to. But he is a, a wonderful Japanese novelist who loves, it is obvious when you read his books, adores music, primarily jazz, but also classical music. And he uses the opportunity, um, uh, if you will, the terrible opportunity of Seiji Ozawa's um, slowing down in his conducting career uh, due to esophageal cancer to sit down with Ozawa and talk about classical music, about their mutual love of music, approaches to music, um, and what music means to them and what they bring to music in their respective creative processes, um, primarily Ozawa's processes. This is a book that is um, very conversational in tone. It's approachable for beginners, uh, but it does deal with specific pieces. So it's something that if you are a true classical music lover, you will like this book. And if you don't know the pieces, you will be wanting to um, listen to those pieces as you... Um, as you read the book. So you're going to want to have um, Beethoven's Third Piano Concerto on hand, and you're going to want to be able to turn to Mahler at some point. It's absolutely fascinating to, to read about how they, um, how they think about um, interacting with musicians, uh, in particular Ozawa, what he, how he prepares when he gets a score and what he thinks about in terms of approaching the music, and then how he deals with the musicians, and then how he pulls it all together with a performance, and how that performance changes as he is performing in front of the audience and the dynamics of the, the audience in the room works together. Um, it's, it's a love letter to music, and it's, a, it's informal, it's delightful, but it really is for the classical music person, which I know many NPR listeners and many of your listeners are as well. Because it's Murakami, it might be off their radars, so I think it would be a perfect, un surprising Christmas gift for people. 
Um, and it's got the odd, odd title, Absolutely on Music, um, Conversations with Haruki, uh, with Seiji Ozawa by Haruki Murakami. It, but, it's, it's a beautiful little book. Yeah, that does sound sound fascinating. Uh, let's, um, um, Kath, let's put your list on pause just to one moment. We go to Jennifer in uh, Uinta County. Jennifer, thanks for calling. Hello. Hello? Hello? Yes, Hello? yes, go ahead. Yes, I, um, that's really funny that you ended up having this Leonard, disc- Leonard Cohen discussion because I was headed out the door to run the dog, and I'm up uh, around that place where they, the, the drive through the ages place. Oh, yeah. Uh, after you leave Vernal. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, I, I spent, um, uh, the day after, um, Veterans Day, I spent with uh, eight veterans, and we were sitting around, literally a round table, and I was the only female, the only non-veteran, and I asked these guys, um, what causes war, you know? And they didn't, and they were Korea and World War II, mostly guys, okay? And they didn't say religion, interestingly enough. They said, um, somebody wants to be in charge, so they're basically saying it's about power. But one of the poems in this book with this Stranger Music selected poems and songs, and it's old, Mm. but it's still, you know, so what if it's old? But the name of this poem is The Killers, and I'll just read you the first uh, part of it. The killers that run the other countries are trying to get us to overthrow the killers that run our own. And then he goes on to say which type of killers he prefers. And then at the end he says... um, I don't like to see a burning flag because it excites the killers on either side to unfortunate excess, which goes on daily quite unchecked until everyone is dead. Kind of a downer poem, but, um, <laughs> and then, and then I was surprised to find out that when he was in college, he had this little group called the Buckskin Boys, a country western group, which I, you know, kind of really didn't see Leonard Cohen as being part of, but it is a real eye opener. But anyway, the name of this book is Stranger Music, and it was published in '93. I'm sure you could get it online. Wonderful, so anyway. uh, uh, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can actually, Thanks. get it in my store, yep. and probably oh, a lot of the independent bookstores, because uh, we uh, we never let Leonard Cohen go out of stock. He's a wonderful author, mm. great poet. So yeah, uh, uh, so great t- recommendation. T- tell me the title again. Uh, Stranger Music. There might be a van in there. Let me double check that. But yeah, um, many of us either restocked or kept uh, have always kept Cohen in stock, um, but definitely restocking after he um, passed away this last uh, this last month. Because oh, good heavens! Stranger Music selected poems and songs. Wonderful, uh, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Uh, love the story as well. Uh, sitting there with the veterans. Um, Stranger Music by Leonard Cohen. Thank you. Uh, what's, uh, by the way, you can join the, the conversation here. We'd uh, love to have you and love to have the, the book or books that you're recommending. We're compiling a UPR book list. You can join us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, you can also join us on Twitter at upraxcess, and you can call us to 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks is with us. What's next on your list? Next on my list is a, a delightful book from an author named Pete Fromm. It's called Names of the Stars, A Life in the Wild. Um, 
he was uh, he was known by some of the the naturalist readers uh, many a few decades ago, a couple decades ago, uh, when he wrote a book called The Indian Creek Chronicles, and it was the tale of him as a very young man. He was about twenty, I think, who got himself a job one summer babysitting salmon eggs up in some wilderness in Montana. And he had this dream of living off the land. He was always one of those guys that wanted to to just be out in the wilderness living, uh, hunting, fishing, trapping. And so he took this job to do that and did that. But the book, the book ended up kind of being like into the wild because he had some experience with that, but not a lot. Um, although he did live, obviously, um, and become a, a very skilled woodsman and um, naturalist and writer in his own right. And here, 25 years later, he's in his 40s, he's married, he has two sons, he's living in Montana, and lo and behold, a job comes up, babysitting fish eggs again in the Bob Marshall wilderness. And he talks with his wife, he wants to take his boys up there with him this time, and they want to go up and experience the wilderness with him. But the Bob Marshall wilderness is very, very wild thickly, densely forested, full of elk and deer, and probably one of the biggest grizzly populations in the, the 48 states. Um, and what he has to do every day is walk a 10-mile loop through this heavily grizzly-inhabited territory. Uh, so he leaves his boys behind, and he goes up into this wilderness to babysit fish eggs until they hatch and they can be released. And has the most exquisite time and writes the most exquisite book about being alone except for all the world before him. It just the for anybody who has backpacked out in the middle of nowhere or gone out hump, hunting in the back of the beyond and seen the world open up before your eyes. This this is the book for you. The, this gets to the nut of why we all do that, despite the fact that it is cold and it is raining, and there are days when you are eating gruel, but then there are these utterly transcendent moments when the robin comes back to the nest, or you see the grizzly huffing down the, the trail, or the elk is there on the path, and the the, the it's palpable how much he misses his boys and his wife. The, the yearning and the ache he feels is, it, it leaps off the pages to you, but so does the beauty of the place that he is in and the the absolute dedication he feels to living this life and the, this experiencing the wild land. It is just such an extraordinary book. It is quiet, and it is just, I keep saying beautiful, but that is absolutely what it is, um, finely tuned reflections about what it means to live in a place that we don't have a lot of opportunities to be in anymore in ways we don't have a lot of opportunities to be. So um, again, a, an extraordinary book that's flying under the radar and well worth seeking out. Mm, yeah, those are, um, those are great recommendations, the ones that, that could tend to fly under the radar. Uh, tell me the title again. Names of the Stars by Pete Fromm. Mm, that does sound like a, a great read. What's next? 
Next is um, something much getting a lot more buzz, and I'm having, I've just had a wonderful time reading it because I love his storytelling so much. It's called Moon Glow by Michael Chabon, a well-known novelist. This book is funny. It starts out in the beginning. When you look at the um, copyright page, it says, this is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents are products of the author's imagination, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the standard disclaimer. Then you get into the book, into the next few pages, and there's an author's note, and it says, In preparing this memoir, I have stuck to facts, except when facts refuse to conform with memory, narrative purpose, or the truth, as I prefer to understand it. So what is this book? Um, If you need to know what this book is, you will probably be frustrated, but it is indeed a novel. It's a novel based on the lives of his grandparents, who are were extraordinary people, and it is ostensibly it's related to him by his grandfather on his grandfather's deathbed. He went to help take care of his grandfather as his grandfather was dying of cancer. His uh, grandfather was an engineer, crusty, rather repressed man. His mother was an emigre, a refugee from France, a a woman who had a, a Nazi concentration camp tattoo on her arm and internal trauma that left her scarred and mentally unstable, but they both lived lives large and did extraordinary things, and it is such an amazing love story uh, and picture of two amazing people in, in amazing times. and. One of the things that I love about Michael Chabon is his characters. He has such affection for them and describes them in such deep and lovely ways. He is such a, a fantastic storyteller. He um, really makes you love these characters, his, his crusty... Uh, Sometimes you wonder if this man has Asperger's grandfather who goes to jail for a while for attempting to garrote his boss who is firing him and (laughs) his grandmother who tells him terrifying ghost stories and is institutionalized for a while. And it's full of pathos, but love, love, love all the way through it. It's just such an affectionate, lovely novel called Moon Glow, um, again, by Michael Chabon. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It, it truly mm-hmm. is. It, it's a great book for the season because it's just such a delight to read. Mm. Um, the next one I have, this is for kids and adults, and I can't tell you how many times in the past decade I have been asked for a book that's like The Way Things Work, but it explains things in the modern age. And lo and behold, this year, there is a revised and updated edition of The Way Things Work. And those of us who are of a certain age will remember The Way Things Work. It came out, boy, I think in the maybe late 80s, early 90s, and then there was an update. But there hasn't been a significant update in quite a while. It's by David McCauley. And what this book does is it, it... explains on a page the way an airplane, it gives you a really good basic explanation of how an airplane works with diagrams that you can see that make it very understandable about how the airflow moves moves through the turbines, 
how the leading edge of the wing uh, provides loft and acceleration. But this time, our old friend, the woolly mammoth, isn't just showing us the airplane. The woolly mammoth is showing us how the printing plate of a scanner works. Um, he's also showing us good old-fashioned book binding but, and how a radio transmitter works. He's showing us how an iPad works and how a touch screen works or a metal detector. It's just, it's one of those books that's so fun to flip through. Um, it's a great addition to any reference shelf, but especially if you have one of those children in your lives that needs to know why this is the way it is. Why does this work like this? Why does this work like this? This is a great way to begin your explorations of why this works like this. It's a very visual guide to um, the world of machines and all kinds of machines, from levers to la- from levers to lasers. It says, and and it is indeed that. Well, that yeah, that sounds that sounds fun. I'm glad they updated it. Uh, one one more, perhaps. One more indeed. Let us do the uh, the lion in the living room. This is a book about house cats. Ah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the subtitle of this is How House Cats Tamed Us and Took Over the World. Because when you think about it, you know, uh, house cats are domesticated, and they do some things for us. And notably, if you live on a farm, the, uh, if you're in rural America, there are still functioning things that house cats do. But notably, for those of us in cities, what they do is there's some affection there, but they're not like dogs, really. And I am a cat person. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of give back there. So what is it that, how have house cats insinuated themselves into our lives? And why do we allow that? Especially given that it must be acknowledged that there are some very profound environmental consequences to house cat populations in the world. And um, it, it's a really neat look by a woman who is a cat person on these creatures that are predators um, and mammals. So they do understand us very well, how they've come to get to know us very well and how they use us and what we get from them and um, some of the consequences of that, both good and not very good at all. Well, yeah, that sounds fascinating. And, and a lot of us have cats, so. Yeah, yeah, it is. For the cat lover, it is good. There are, there are moments that will be a bit uncomfortable, um, but there are things that you can't be, you really can't avoid. Things like the effects on the songbird population, for instance, there are mm-hmm. things that have to be dealt with. But because this is written by a cat lover, um, it it's dealt with in a way that where she's trying to find common ground between both of us. In fact, there's this really funny instance where she does go to a meeting where they're talking about humane traps for house cats and how to deal with feral cat populations. And there's a whole PowerPoint presentation about different kinds of pressure springs for these wild cat traps and dealing with structures of wild cat traps and intricacies of structure. Then at the very end of the presentation, the last shot of the PowerPoint is this woman's is a photograph of this woman's cat, the presenter's cat. And the whole room goes, Oh 
it's just like this really um, predictable moment of clickbait almost, uh, just like the candy at the end of the presentation where everybody's really depressed and then the whole room just relaxes and has this collective... Oh, <laughs> gasp and joy at the cute little house cat, and they can forget about all of those sad things in the world, too. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Let's uh, list from uh, Catherine Weller, Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. We'll have the full list up on our website uh, a little bit later as well. As, Catherine, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for uh, for joining us. Uh, we're glad you've joined us as well. We're looking for your book list. We're also looking for your holiday reading tradition and perhaps uh, books to give as gifts. We're going to take a brief break, and uh, then we'll come back with uh, a few more of your suggestions. We'll also be talking with Ann Holman from King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Hi, this is Steve Williams. I'm bringing jazz time to UPR. Each week I'll feature commentary, history, the occasional interview, and of course lots of music. From ragtime to bop, from Havana to Paris to Logan, Utah, I'll be your guide through the many varieties of jazz music. I hope you'll join me for KCBW's Jazz Time with Steve Williams, Sunday evenings from 6 to 10 beginning December 4th here on Utah Public Radio. I'm Ronnie Adams the Utah chapter leader for the Stop Abuse campaign, inviting you to learn more about Utah projects and people that empower during Utah Public Radio's original series, Objectified, More Than a Body, Tuesday afternoons at 4.30 during All Things Considered and Wednesday mornings at 7.41 during Morning Edition. Program listings and times found at upr.org. Heard only on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are uh, asking you what you are reading. We know that uh, UPAIR listeners are avid readers, and periodically we get together and uh, share suggestions with each other and uh, compile a community, UPR community book list. That's what we're doing today. It's the holiday version of the program, and we'll have uh, shortly our collective list up on our website, upr.org. I've uh, had a lot of good reads uh, based on your suggestions. We're looking for yours at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We're going to go another uh, 10 minutes or so here. Um, you can reach us to upraxis at gmail.com as well, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter as well, at upraxis. Before we go to Ann Holman from King's English Book uh, Shop, I want to get in these from uh, the following listeners. First of all, Marsha in St. George has emailed us. Uh, she's currently reading The Iran Wars by Jay Solomon. The Iran Wars by Jay Solomon. Also reading, and she mentions for this one, Can't Put It Down, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihari. Uh, a Little Life by Hanya Yana Gihari. Uh, also, uh, Marsha mentions As We Are Now by May Sarton. As We Are Now by May Sarton. And her final suggestion from Marsha in St. George is New Shirts and Old Skins, poems by Sherman Alexie. New Shirts and Old Skins, poems by Sherman Alexie. Thanks for that, uh, Marsha. Steve has emailed in. He says, Tossing this in at the last minute, I've just started to reread Here is New York, E.B. White's slender 1949 monograph about, well, that's obvious, isn't it? When I say I've just started to reread, I mean that because it's really a polished gem of only about 40 pages, so it doesn't take long. The edition I bought was has a new introduction by Roger Angel, who was E.B. White's stepson and himself, like his stepdad, a stellar writer at The New Yorker. 
I put quotes around new edition because I don't precisely know when it was actually new. I just, I don't precisely know it's actually new. I just bought it the other day. The book was written the year before my birth, but I too lived in New York in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And the yachts and my wife and children live there still. The essential quality of the ever-changing city that White described in the 1940s continues to pertain to this day. So Steve recommends Here is New York by E.B. White. Uh, Finally, this is from Claudia, who says, Our holiday favorite is The Other Wiseman, a tale of the wise man who was delayed and didn't make the great event, but instead spent a lifetime looking and finding a life of service, a way to find the Messiah. My recent find was the audiobook of The Orphan Keeper by Cameron Wright. I really enjoyed the audio version. The accents and voices of the characters in the book really added to my enjoyment of the story. This book is the true story of uh, Taj Rowland, a kidnapped Indian boy who was passed off as an orphan and adopted by an American family. Uh, Taj returns to find his lost family through a series of improbable coincidences that even Dickens could not make up. He does. That's Claudia. So she recommends The Other Wiseman. That's their family's holiday favorite uh, tradition. And uh, her recent find was the audiobook of The Orphan Keeper by Cameron Wright. Thanks for those. We turn next to uh, Ann Holman, King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks. Uh, how, how are the holidays going at King's English? They're going great. Lots of, lots of fun and festivities and uh, people shopping in spite of the snow. And I know you always have a bunch of events there, so I'd imagine that that continues. <laughs> we do. We keep pretty busy. Uh, hey, so, I wanted to, uh, just uh, that last reader was talking about the Orphan Keeper, and that's kind of the theme of my first book by Paulette Giles. Yes. Um, News of the World, every every Christmas, you know, I find one book that I can sell to everybody, and this is it this year. It's called News of the World, and it's just a tiny little novel. <clears throat> it's published by William Morrow. And it's uh, a retired Civil War captain who makes his living traveling around the Southwest reading newspapers uh, in villages where they don't have newspapers. And so he puts a little can down, and people pay a nickel to come in, and he spreads the newspapers out in front of him and reads the articles that he thinks will be most interesting to his uh, audience. And at one of the readings, a couple of um, gentlemen approach him and say, They've rescued this little 11-year-old girl from the Kiowa Indians, and they are asking him to take her back to her people, which is in San Antonio. And that's the story of this retired Civil War captain. He's aging. He's a little ornery. And this young girl who believes that she's an Indian, she's terrified of him, wants to get back to her people. And it's how they form this uneasy relationship that turns into really one of trust and he does travel all across Texas to finally get to San Antonio, and I won't give it away, but anybody can read this book and love it. Men, women, teenagers. One of the best books I've read in a long time. Oh, that sounds great. Um, It's really, really good. Yeah, tell me the title again. It's called News of the World, and it's by Paulette Giles. It was a National Book Award finalist this year, and uh, just a great great read. Mm, Wonderful. What's next? The Invisible Life of Ivan Iazenko. <laughs> That's a mouthful, I know. <laughs> but it's about this boy, Ivan, and he's lived in this, <clears throat> it's called the Mazer Hospital for Gravely Ill Children. It's in Belarus. He's lived there his whole life. What it really is is a hospital for all these kids that have been poisoned by radiation. He has barely the use of his arms, not his legs. He's 17. He is very, very smart, and he has a wonderful sense of humor. 
And he comments on the people around him and works with them. The nurses love him, even though he's a little um, difficult sometimes. There's a scene in there where he wants to learn how to change this baby's diaper, and he can't do it, really. He doesn't have the use of so many of his parts, but he does it, and he practices and practices until he can finally do it. And it's laugh out loud, even while it's, you know, sad and horrible. It's laugh out loud funny. Mm -hmm. And this young girl, Paulina, comes into the hospital, and it becomes a love story between these two kids who are obviously not destined to live very long. So it's poignant, it's funny, it's it's lovely. So that's The Invisible Life of Ivan Ayazenko, and that's a, a novel that I loved. Um, I'm going to skip over The mm. Mothers and go talk about nonfiction a little bit. Okay. I think we've already talked about Hero of the Empire by Candace Millard, but it is a great book. Um, Winston Churchill was very, very sure of himself as a young man, and it comes through in this book. And he went on to become, of course, <clears throat> one of the best and smartest leaders from a war perspective that any of us have ever known. But he's also very funny. And this is the year for uh, rock and roll lyrics. I, I know that yeah. uh, Andy talked about Bob Dylan, but it's also Bruce Springsteen, Robbie Robertson, The Rolling Stones. There's a, another Beatles lyrics book. This is really the year. If you've got people who like rock and roll, there's a book for everybody out there. Oh, that's uh, that's great to know. Yeah. Uh, do you have? Yeah, uh, and the Bruce. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we're just we're talking about. Uh, seems like a theme uh, throughout the program today has been Leonard Cohen. Do you have any Leonard Cohen there? At the, oh yeah, the shop? Mm-hmm. of course, of course. Yeah. We were so sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> a lot of his poetry. We all, we do try to keep it. Like Catherine said, he's one of our favorites, and <clears throat> the music and the poetry. I imagine we'll see some more books about him coming after the new year. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Uh, what's Which next? We good. have a couple of minutes left here. Um, okay, well, let's talk about a couple of children's books. I don't I don't have to talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, because I know everybody's going to see the movie. Mm. I loved it, and I love that this is a screenplay that you can read out loud, especially for kids who maybe aren't big readers. You put this book in their hands in a classroom, and they can take turns reading the parts and turn it into something completely different. And I think that's one of the powerful things about reading is there's all kinds of different ways to do it. I also just loved The Inquisitor's Tale. It's called The Inquisitor's Tale or The Three Magical Children and Their Holy Dog. (laughs) And it really is a story of the Inquisition. There's a young girl who is um, sort of a martyr. There's a young boy who is Jewish. And there's an older boy who's black and they call him the Saracen, but he's also a monk in a Catholic monastery, and he's very, very smart. And so it's kind of the story of the Inquisition told through these children's eyes, but it's a book for middle readers. Um, anyone, anybody from like third or fourth grade on up can read this and enjoy it, um, and it gives you a little bit of background into why people are mistrustful of each other <clears throat> until they actually get to know each other. Just a beautiful, hmm. beautiful book. That, that does sound wonderful. We just have about a minute left. What uh, A last book here? Okay, let me leave you with Atlas Obscura, an explorer's guide to the world's hidden wonders. This is a collection of places all over the world that people have discovered or found, and you can go and see them, but you might not know about them. So you're not going to find the Eiffel Tower in here or the Pyramids of Giza, but you're going to find all kinds of crazy things that you never would have thought to see. And you can sign up for the app, and when you're anywhere in the world, the app will tell you what you can go and see. So it's a combination of a book and app. It's all crowdsourced. 
great fun. In fact, you can subscribe to it online, and they send you an email every day with really interesting, crazy <clears throat> articles about places to go and people to know that you wouldn't ordinarily know. And so that's kind of a fun thing to think about doing in the new year. Mm, that does sound fun. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll have the uh, Anne's complete list up on our website. Uh, Anne Holman from King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City has joined us. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate those suggestions. Thanks, Tom. Happy holidays. Happy holidays uh, to you as well, and to you. And uh, you can keep those suggestions coming to upraxis at gmail dot com. And thanks for joining us today. Hear that? And that's way away East Bay. They'll be joining us by playing throughout the night at our UPR New Year's Eve party as we dance away 2016 and raise a cheer to welcome 2017. Food, music, dancing, friends, and more, all at the Logan Country Club. My name is Ted Twinting, and on behalf of everyone here at UPR, I want to invite you to join us at the party. If you want to make a vacation of the event, we also have special room packages at the Bomb Motel and University Inn. Information on tickets available right now on upr.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.